Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Yeah, right? And when we're talking about this, I mean, most of you are pretty clued in by now that this is a uh, stewardship sermon, um, which you can either groan inwardly or outwardly. I'm okay. You can do that. Uh, however, if you groan either way, God hears you and is paying attention. So um, this morning, as we were getting ready for worship and, and the 930 worship team was prepping, I was talking to some of them and they were like, so today, I was like, yeah, we're going to talk about money. And they're like, ooh. And I said, yeah. I said, people love it when we talk about money. I said, however, if it weren't a problem, I wouldn't have to talk about it. So here's the problem with money, right? We're, we need it. We have to have it. I mean, we have to have it to run the church. The light bills don't pay themselves, and the bulletins aren't given to us for free. There, there's things that we must do. And yet, there's the tension between our faith and living in a world that requires us to have some form of wealth that we can use in commerce. And Jesus recognized this. The, the text that I just read to you from Matthew is still within that Sermon on the Mount text. And Jesus is offering this up. And he says something that a lot of times we don't want to hear. You might be very familiar with the second piece that I read to you about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And you can't add to your life by worrying, so don't worry about it. Which, by the way, sounds very ecclesiastical. But the first piece is very important. It's so important that Jesus kind of stops for a moment on it and says that the tension for humankind, forget Christians, let's just go with humankind. The tension for us is that we must choose who we shall worship and who will run our lives. Is really what we're talking about. Who's going to run our lives? And if we go back to being Christians, if we take that to us who are Christians, then what we're basically being asked is, we are going to serve one of two things in this world. We're either going to serve God or we're going to serve wealth. Our pursuit, our desire to keep it, to save it, to have it, to pass it on to our children, all of those things combined together make wealth. And we're going to serve one or the other. Jesus says, you cannot serve both. There's no asterisk. There's no footnote. There's no endnote where Jesus is like, well, I'm kidding. Here's a way that you can make this work. Jesus says, you cannot serve both. You must choose. And that's a hurtful thing for modern Christians to hear because we live in a world where we know the difference between having money and don't. We live in a world where it's very apparent to us that things can be incredibly difficult if you don't have money, if you don't have enough money, you don't have the right money. Do you have money that's readily available to you or is it tied up in something else? We think about money a lot because it changes how we live. And Jesus knows this. Jesus isn't antiquated. Jesus is very much still present and alive and is speaking truth to us through this text. And Jesus is encouraging us, just like the words of our call to worship and the words of the Ecclesiastes, you have to be aware of just how consuming money is. Wealth consumes us. I'm amazed at when I start looking at the demographics and when you look at the figures and the surveys and the statistics, the number one destroyer of marital relationships is not adultery. It's money. Disagreement on how to spend it, who spends it, what do they spend it on, who's in control, how do we save, 
who's going to earn it, who's going to be in charge of portioning it out, who's going to pay the bills, that destroys more marriages than anything else. And so part of good premarital counseling, which is one of the things that I have to account for when I stand before the clergy session, is that it includes money, that we can't shy away from that. Less time actually should be spent on talking about adultery and more time apparently should be spent talking about finances because it destroys marriages and households and lives. How many people have you read about, or maybe you yourself know, where embezzlement or fraud, stealing, theft, larceny, that these things have destroyed not only their lives but the lives of their families, that has created all kinds of pain and suffering, all because of the need to have money the desire to have it. And Jesus recognizes that we need it. I mean, Jesus was an itinerant pastor traveling around for three years, living off of the hospitality and goodwill of other people. But he recognized, and he's talking to his disciples too, those who are joining him on this journey, and this is very early on the journey in the, in the Gospel account of Matthew, very early, that if you spend all of your time worried about what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear and where we're going to go, it's going to destroy the ministry. It's going to kill us. You know, he says you can't add a day, a single hour to your life. We now know because of science and medicine that it will actually kill you to worry too much. That it will create so much stress and burden that your heart, your vascular system, your aneurysm, you can have all kinds of issues because of stress. That if you spend your time worrying, that it will actually kill you. And how many people worry about money? We worry about these things. I'm not going to say, I don't worry. I'm a single parent and I run a household. I absolutely worry about these things. And then I have a kid who's like, it's fine. Just order it from Amazon. It'll be here tomorrow. Someone has to pay for that. Someone has to pay for that. Well, how much is it? I'll tell him it's like, it's like $20. That's it not a lot. I'm like, are you paying for it? No, I'm not paying. That's a lot of money out of my account. Right? It's, it's trying to raise children to understand money. And we struggle with it so much because we recognize the tension of we live in a world, we, we have bills, we have things, somebody's got to buy the food, you know, somebody's got to buy the clothes, those things have to happen. But then we start to push it beyond, right? It's not just when Jesus was telling his apostles, you know, when, we, when our sandals wear out, we're going to get new sandals. It'll happen. We'll get new sandals. And when our clothes are absolutely obliterated from this lifestyle we're living, we'll have new clothes. We're not going to walk around naked. That was an entirely different group of people, and that was not Jesus' people. And so Jesus says, don't worry about it. We will be covered. We will make sure that happens. And that should have been enough. But we're human beings, and we know that at one point they would have been like, well, yeah, you know, God made sure I had sandals, but look at her sandals. Those are some great-looking sandals over there. I wish I had those sandals. Or, yeah, I've got a new robe, but wow, his robe is really nice. I think that's cashmere, right? Or it extends. You know, not only look at the house that they live in. They live in a better house than us. Or I wish I lived in a bigger house. Or did you see the chariot they drive? It gets crazy. We just get consumed with it. And then it actually eats into us to the point that one of the top commandments that people like to quote is, you shall not covet, Right? That is actually developing a hatred, a dislike, an internal dissonance towards another person because of their wealth. Jesus recognizes that this is our propensity, that somehow, someway, all of humankind throughout all history, it comes down to this, wealth or God. And so we struggle with this because we think, you know, somebody's got to earn a living, somebody's got to go to work. 
But then you have to figure out what it is that they're paying you for. Are they paying you so that you can't go to worship on Sunday? Are they paying you so that you can't put God as a priority? Are they paying you so that above all else, you will worship them and what they require of you versus allowing for God to be first in your life? And this tension is lifelong. I mean, this, and this is, I'm not trying to tell you that you need to go home and figure out what your tithe is. That's not what this sermon is about. Instead, it's about recognizing that we make decisions about who is in charge of our lives. And I, as clergy, we pay quarterly estimated taxes. For IRS purposes, we're self-employed, obviously. We're self-employed. And so every quarter, I write two massive checks to the federal government and to the state government. And this year, I will pay over $10,000 in quarterly estimated taxes. That's a lot of money to me. And then my tithe is just under $6,000. And I pay that tithe in, in, in increments. Every time I get paid, I pay 10% of my tithe. And I pay it out. 10% of my gross, I pay that out as my tithe. And so there are so many times where I write those tax checks and they hurt. Those tax checks hurt. I don't, people watch me go into the, to the post office and they're like, she look angry. Oh, she's angry. <laughs> I'm not happy about those tax checks. I wish it were reversed. I would rather give $10,000 to God. Yes. I would rather give that money to God. I know what God does with it. Yes. I'm on the front line. I know what God's doing with the money. Yes. I have input. And I have the ability to help out with the money on that side. I feel good about what we do on the money on that side. But the other side, I got all kinds of issues with what we do with the money on the other side. Right? About the fact that sometimes the post office can't even seem to get the money to the right people that I've been paying since I was 18. It's crazy to me the tension with our money. And we struggle with this. And I was raised in a household where my parents, they tithed, but they didn't agree on how they tithed. Right? Now, some of you, this may sound familiar, and some of you are like, what are we talking about here? Right? So the idea of the tithe is that you pay 10% on your gross income, right? because that's what comes right out of the Old Testament, 10% on your gross income. Or if you're Jesus, you don't have an income, and so what are you doing? Right? It's off your income. And so my parents disagreed on when you paid that tithe. My dad wanted to pay that tithe after we paid all the bills. My mom wanted to pay that tithe first. Right? She wanted to pay that tithe first. My dad would go, you pay the tithe, and we don't have the money for the bills, then we're going to have a problem. And she goes, if you don't pay the tithe, you're going to have a problem. Right? That's the difference. My mother grew up Southern Baptist, and that was what you did. You wrote that tithe check first. You wrote that check. And I can, you know, we were, we were kind of like sitting around eating popcorn watching this. Who's going to win this argument? Who's going to win? Because it's about who is ruling the household, right? Who's ruling the household? Now, my dad, lifelong Methodist, wanted to tithe, wanted the world to, to be blessed by that gift, to honor and glorify God, wanted that to happen, but just wanted to make sure that we were fed and clothed, right? Of course. You don't want your daughters running around naked. You don't want your daughters starving. You don't want your house to go without. Jesus says this, right? Jesus recognizes that we ask these questions. But how many of us aren't saying, oh my gosh, I have nothing to wear because there's literally nothing in my closet. It's I have nothing to wear because nothing I want to wear is in my packed closet. Right? How many of us are going, I love it when my mother comes over to my house and she goes, you've got nothing to eat. I have a freezer in my garage. I've got a freezer and a fridge. I've got a pantry. I've got nothing to eat that she wants to eat. Right? She goes, all you have is ingredients. 
And so that's the difference, right? As human beings, it's about our desire versus what God's will is. And we struggle with this so hard. It is a very hard thing. And so what we are being asked to do by Jesus, even today, is for every one of us to take a look at our lives and do our lives proclaim that God is first? Or do our lives proclaim that we serve the pursuit of wealth? And nobody likes to ask that question. None of us like to ask that question. I don't like to ask that question, and I tithe. It's a difficult question. It's a hard question. It's an embarrassing question. And some of us will say, yeah, well, I don't tithe, or yeah, I don't, you know, maybe if I look at it, God isn't first. Does that make me a horrible human being? No, it doesn't. It doesn't make you a horrible human being. We don't kick you out of Christendom. Because here's the difference between how human beings look at this question and how God looks at this question. We look at this question as, as we are winning or we are losers, right? Because technically there's a right answer. Technically there's a right answer. And so we know if we're not answering that question right, we are not winning. God looks at this question and goes, even if you have chosen the other side up until this day, I still love you. I haven't forsaken you. As a matter of fact, if we look close enough at our lives, in spite of our unfaithfulness to God, God has continued to bless us. God allows us to have safety and security. God allows us to have good things. Things that if we didn't have, we would be so broken and sad. We have good things even when we are not good disciples. Because God doesn't treat us the way we treat God. God loves us and continues to pour out good things. And if you, at the end of all of this today and your discernment and everything, come back and go, no, I'm not there yet. I'm still over here. God does not wipe God's hands of you. God doesn't do that. God says, all right. But there's going to be more stewardship sermons. <laughs> there's going to be more people telling you about what their financial gift did for the kingdom of God. There's going to be more people. Because at the end of the day, when we start taking stock, when we start looking at our lives and what this consists of, when we look at where we're ultimately going, we are asking about what is of value to me? What is it that I really value? And at 9.30 this morning, I told them, I said, if you don't think that a faith that is embodied in choosing God first doesn't change your life, it does. Jesus says that you can't add any by worrying. You can add by putting God first. I invited them. I said, if you don't believe me, stay for 11 o'clock. I will show you some of the vibrant 90-somethings you have ever seen. I will show you. I said, because their lives have been marked by their faithfulness. Their lives have been shaped by their willingness to continue to grow in grace and God's love. And as a minister since the age of 26 that has been officiating funerals since I was 26, I have done more than six funerals for people over the age of 100. That's because God has blessed them. And their lives are marked not by, I got to get out now before the money runs out, but I got to live as long as I can because God has given me a purpose. I have something to do in this world. And all of us do. This world isn't changed because of the 10%. Right? I don't know if you know this, but the facts and figures, even from Barna, tell us that about 10% of all churches, no matter how large or small they are, about 10% of the people actually give 
what sustains the church and are the leaders in the church. About 10% are really active there. It's not about the 10%. It's not that the 10% really get it. But what it's about is that every single one of us has a place in building the kingdom of God. Every single one of us are called to be transformers of this world. And if we are really going to take that serious, if we are really going to say, you know, God has placed this upon my shoulders and in my heart that this world should not look this way when I die, then we have to start putting God first. We have to figure out what that looks like, what it feels like, how we give, and how we change how we approach this world and start recognizing that it's not about always pursuing the wealth. It's about pursuing God. And if our wealth doesn't help us pursue God, then we are worshiping our wealth. And I don't want to stand before my maker and go, I love something more than you, while you have loved nothing more than me. Instead, we have to look at this. We have to wrestle with it. And it's scary, and it's personal, and I don't want any of you to tell me where you stand. I don't need you to tell me where you stand. I know where you stand. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know where you stand. But I do know this. I know that every penny, every dollar that you give to the church changes lives. I know this. I know that right now, as we speak, the United Methodist Committee on Relief has already made it to the ground in the Bahamas. They are funded entirely by gifts, and the gifts don't go to the administrative costs. They beat the Red Cross for the umpteenth time. And those flood buckets that we have made before, remember those? Those are a pain to put together. They're already on the ground. UMCOR takes those flood buckets with them. We store them for a day when it's raining, and it rained hard for 40 hours. And UMCOR isn't just a one-time thing. I'm not even sure that you're aware that UMCOR has already recognized that not only the Bahamas got hit, but that the coastal Carolinas got ravaged through flooding, even all the way to Norfolk, where I was appointed for eight years, that those coastal areas have experienced intense damage and flooding, ancillary issues from Dorian. And so even this afternoon, when we start blasting out on our social media and on our webpage how to give to UMCOR, it's divided into two. There's an international one to give to the Bahamas, and then there's a national one where you can give to those who are here. You can split your donations. Because we recognize as servants of the risen Lord that it's not about the headline. It's about the heartache. And we will respond to where the heart aches because we serve the balm of Gilead, and we are here to help them. So we recognize that, that our gifts do make a difference because there are people you could, you didn't have to watch the news to see the kind of destruction that was wrought in this world, right? Water, water that is necessary for life destroyed it last week. And then today, we took water. And we imbued it with the power of the Holy Spirit and we poured it out on two boys and it is giving them and us new life. It is going to equip Ryan and Everett to be the disciples that we wish we could be. It's going to change the world in and through those young boys. And as they grow, they're going to look at people like you and I, and they're going to go, is this Christianity thing just a Sunday morning thing? Is this Christianity thing more about our mouths, or is it about our hands and our feet? Is it about our hearts? 
Is it about where we choose to invest our wealth? They're going to look at us and they're going to ask. And if we're lucky, they'll ask out loud. And they'll pay attention. And they will want to know. Did you just put some water on this because it was a great photo op? And it's a tradition. Or did you give us the Holy Spirit because you really do believe that we are called to do something powerful, transformative, and necessary in this world? May it be the latter. May we be people who continually look at ourselves, our community of faith here at Crozet United Methodist Church, and ultimately this world and say, whom am I worshiping today? And let all that we are and all that we have constantly be moving towards the one who has made all things possible. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.